Summer camp is by far my favorite thing that we get to do with our student ministry throughout the year. Uh, I first attended summer camp when I was in second grade, and I've only missed one summer since. Uh, I believe in it because of what, is, what you're able to do and remove the distractions for a week to speak into a student's life. And so if you are a middle school or high school student, or if you have a middle school or high school student, I would encourage you to sign up today for this summer's camps. It's going to be amazing, and it's only $250. In fact, our cost per student is $600, but our leadership readily believes that these events make a huge impact, not just for now, but for eternity. And so our Mother's Day offering this year, uh, if, if you're new with us, we, give, we do two big offerings a year. One is at Christmas called Joy to the World. 100% of the money goes outside of our walls. But on Mother's Day, we take an offering to further an initiative uh, inside our walls. And this year, that offering is going toward summer camp to offset the cost so that we can remove as many obstacles as possible to get as many students as possible at our summer camp. So my hope is that you would be praying about what you might be able to give on the weekend of Mother's Day towards camp. Uh, our goal is to raise $160,000 so that we can offset those costs. Uh, our church is about 2,000 people. If everybody gave $80, we'd hit that goal, right? Like you can break it down. It doesn't take much, but that you giving $80 creates the opportunity for a family to save $350, Right? That's, that's the scope. That's the scale. Uh, and so my hope is as you pray through that, you would think not just, oh, this is an offering, but this is directly going to changing the eternities of middle school and high school students. Let's pray. Dear and Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have before us. I know that you've been planning this summer and these camps long before we started talking about it. And so, Lord, I pray that you go before us, not just in the funding of it, but, Lord, in the event. Lord, knowing that you have plans for our students, for our leaders, Pray that, that it changes lives like it does every summer. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Tyler Lane. I am the next-gen pastor here. I get to oversee all of our kids and students. And I've done that for six years. In our, uh, actually, my first sermon series as a, as a pastor here uh, that I got to listen to was a sermon series on how do we experience God. Six years later, I get to bring one of those messages to you. Uh, Dan started a new series last week uh, trying to answer this question of how do we tangibly and sustainably experience God beyond the big moments, like our students experience at summer camp or like we experienced as a church just a couple weeks ago at Easter. So we started talking about these seven realities. You'll see them on the screen, right, that we can process through and walk through to help us to Go beyond the event, go beyond just the weekend experience to really and truly experience God. But inside these realities is the concept that there's an immense difference between knowing about something or someone and truly knowing someone. Uh, for instance, my wife and I will celebrate 13 years of marriage this June, but I've known her since I was 14 years old. I can tell you a lot of things about my wife. I can tell you where she grew up her childhood address, how many uh, siblings she has, what number she was on the volleyball team. I can tell you all of these different things. But the knowledge of those things does not help me to really know her. You could argue that not knowing those things after knowing her for so long would negatively impact our relationship. 
But knowing them and simply knowing these things about her doesn't make me know her more. No, what helps me to truly know her is to, to help her, help, to know what makes her tick. What coffee order is going to bring her out of that bad day, right? When to step in in that season of life and give encouragement or coaching or just a, a shoulder, right? Those are the things that help me to truly know my wife. And the same is true in our relationship with God that we can know a lot about him. But these seven realities help us to truly know him, to know who he is, and ultimately then to know who we are. And last week, Dan shared the first reality, that God is at work around us. He's always at work around us. And today I wanna to talk about the second reality, God pursues a relationship with us. I like that word pursue. It, it, it brings to mind for me several images. Uh, it may be that my six-year-old son, Miles, loves animals a lot. And, and at any given moment, he will, he will be happy to share any number of animal facts with you, whether you asked or you didn't. But the first image that comes to my mind is that of a cheetah pursuing its prey, right? The, the fastest land animal, almost always, it feels like always gets its prey. It's in pursuits for a while, and then it gets there. The second image I think of is that of a high-speed police pursuit, right? Flying down the streets of LA, because for some unknown reason, it's always LA. It's always LA. <laughs> Flying through the streets of LA, right? But I always like, I watched way too many of these in preparation of the sermon, and I always love it because the, the police are patiently pursuing. Their goal is to capture and they're, they're successful in that, but they're waiting, they're protecting, they're pursuing. The third image though, well, let's just watch it. I'm just gonna scooch in right here if you don't mind. Uh, Listen, more than the cheetah and more than the police, they're relentless. I bought a car three years ago. Uh, there hasn't been a month that's gone by since I bought it that somebody's reaching out to me about this plan that honestly, I don't even know what it is. Like, I just don't even bother to ask. The person I bought the car from was at eight o'clock. I was just like, hey, what's up, Bob? Um, so uh, it's fine. He had a good laugh. But th the image is in these pursuits, they're all relentless. They're relentless. And Henry Blackaby says that this is like what God is with us. He pursues us relentlessly. And last week, Dan introduced us to Moses. And when we, we finished the message last week, we left Moses in Midian. He had fled from Egypt where he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was in the palace. He had everything going for him. And then he killed somebody. And turns out that's not a good thing. And so he fled. He fled to Midian. Midian, because I, I wasn't super familiar with the area, uh, Midian is not close to Egypt where he grew up actually 300 miles away. It would be as if you took off running from this church and your target was Tacoma. He fled. 
His goal was to never be seen by the Egyptians again. He wanted to get out of there and and completely disconnect. And we find him 40 years later. He had settled down. He found a a wife, had a kid, become a shepherd for his father-in-law. And I imagine that Egypt is as far in his rearview mirror as possible. Completely behind him. A different life. But as we learned last week, God was still working. We, we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Let's pause here for a second. Okay, uh, I've worked with students for the last 15 years of my life. And a regular question I get from students is like, how do we know that this is like real? Like these are real people because Moses was a real person who really lived. And this is, this is a great example, okay? Because this is as true to being a guy as you know. He saw something on fire and he said, I gotta get closer to that. <laughs> I have to see what's going on here because... It's on fire. And that's the only thing that you need to know about it is a real person because he's a guy and he has to be close to fire. All right, picking up in verse four. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. After 40 years in Midian, 40 years of every day tending to the flock, taking care of his family, tending to the flock, taking care of his family, day after day after day, God appears to Moses. He shows up in a burning bush, and I would guess that as Moses had been by this place several times on the, on the wilderness, he'd seen things that were on fire or burning. But, so that wasn't what surprised him. What surprised him is that it was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. So he takes a closer look. God calls him by name. And then God introduces like who he is. Moses had fled Egypt when he tried to take justice into his own hands. And I have to wonder how often as he's tending to the flock and walking back and forth through the wilderness, how many times he thought about that day in Egypt where his life changed and thought about what his plan was supposed to be and thought about where where he thought his life was going and wondered like, man, will I ever get a chance? Is God even still there? Is the God of my childhood with me? Maybe he'd just grown content, like, well, this is my life. I'm just a shepherd. I was a prince, and now I'm a shepherd. Maybe he just grew content with it. We don't really know, but what we do know is that for those 40 years, while God was working, God was also pursuing Moses. He was with him, aware of his journey. He knew exactly which bush to light on fire that Moses would walk by and it would grab his attention. He pursued him and he met him right where he was. God hadn't left Moses. For those 40 years, God pursued him. And it's not the only time 
we see God pursue his people. Let's take a journey. At uh, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve had just sinned, bringing this like destruction, right, into the stuff. And they, they hid. But what does God do? God pursues. And he restores a relationship with them. Abraham in Genesis 12, this guy who thought, I would never have kids. I'm too old. I can't be used. I'm worthless. I'm just, I just had to live out my days. And God pursued him where he was, provided what he was looking for, and used him to grow his kingdom. Or Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, unaware of what's going on. In fact, his pers- God's pursuit of him, he kept thinking it was the priest's. He's like, no, 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 go listen. God's calling you. So he said, speak, your servant is listening. And God pursued him. Or Elijah, this prophet defeats all of these different prophets of Baal, proves that God is the only God worth serving. It's this major moment. And then he runs completely scared of Jezebel. And he gets to this place where he's like, God, will you, you just have to take me. I'm worthless. I can't do this anymore. But just put an end to it. And God doesn't. What God does is pursues him, gives him what he actually needs, a nap and a snack. And he's like, we can keep going. <laughs> but Jesus does this too, right? In, uh, in Luke 5 and Mark 2, Jesus finds all of his disciples where they were and he pursues them, whether they are fishing or collecting taxes or wherever they were, Jesus pursues them. And my favorite one in the New Testament is that of a guy named Paul. He would go on to write the majority of our New Testament. But before all of that, his name was Saul. And Saul was known for how well he killed Christians. But there's this moment on a road to Damascus where he's going to kill more Christians, where God reveals his pursuit of him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's this moment that changes everything for Paul. Changes his name, it changes his identity, it changes his mission, because he realized that the God of creation is pursuing him. Time and again, we see God pursuing his people relentlessly. And can I tell you that he hasn't stopped? He didn't stop with the writing of the New Testament. He has been and continues to pursue you. But his pursuit isn't really like the cheetah or isn't really like the police chase. His goal isn't to capture and punish. God's pursuit is more like a rescue mission. It's the same relentlessness, but it's a different end goal. He's, trying, he's not trying to punish you. He's trying to rescue you. In 2018, there was a group of soccer boys in Thailand that decided to go celebrate one of their birthdays by navigating a a, a cave that they were actually pretty familiar with, except the rainy season came a little early and the entire cave system flooded and their family couldn't reach them, couldn't get a hold of them, they couldn't find them. The, The Thai officials searched for days just trying to figure out how to locate them. At one point, they finally found him but they couldn't figure out how to get them out. There were parts that were just so narrow they couldn't get in with scuba tanks and all those different stuff. So they just said, okay, we're just gonna figure out how to get food to you. And then once rainy season subsides in four months, we'll get you out. (laughs) The only water they had was the rainwater dripping from the cave walls. 
So people started to flood in from all over the world. It's the scene you see in the picture, trying to figure out how do we get these boys out immediately. The best of the best, the best divers, the best rescuers, all of that risked everything for these boys. And after 18 excruciating days, they rescued every single one of them. Although not all the rescuers made it out. And it reminds me of what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It's in Christ that we see God's greatest pursuit of us. Christ's death and resurrection creates an avenue for us to be made right with God, to be brought into a relationship with him, a continual, real, and personal relationship. And you look at the stories in the Bible, or you look at the stories of church history, God isn't pursuing just the great people, the perfect ones, the top of the class, the spotless, the straight A's, the influencers. He's pursuing the messy, the broken, the imperfect, the underqualified, us, you, me. God desires this relationship with us because he made us, he knows us, he loves us. And it isn't a relationship built on anything that we or you or I could have done or have done. It's because God is love. One of Jesus' followers, John, in fact, when he wrote his gospel, he refers to himself exclusively as the disciple that Jesus loved. Later, he'll write a letter to a church and he'll speak about this love. In 1 John 4, he says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is what makes Christianity different. This is what sets it apart from any other thing the world has to offer, any other religion that's out there. Because this God, the God that created everything, the universe and all its order, all the way down to you, doesn't create us and then say, good luck. He creates us and then he pursues us. And he doesn't pursue us to demand something from us. He pursues us to live life with us. There's not a religion in the world that offers that hope. That relationship that is offered, that is desired by the God of the universe is different. There was a season in my life where I struggled with the idea of experiencing life with God. I think for many people, that, is, that, that struggle happens before you really experience Jesus for the first time. And it brings you into the relationship. My problem is that I started going to church when I was two weeks old. I already told you before, like, I, I didn't miss camp. I didn't miss those things. Like, I grew up in that family. My parents loved Jesus. They drugged me to church before I wanted to go to church. So I actually experienced this struggle, not, not before I met Jesus, but after. Not before I went to Bible college to become a pastor, but after. Not before I started working in a church, but after. My family, my wife and I, had moved to the Bay Area of California. We had been there for about six months when we found out my wife 
uh, well, we've just been there for a couple months when we found out my wife was pregnant. But just uh, a few short weeks later, we'd find out that we weren't ever going to meet that child. And instantly, as we were completely by ourselves, no family, no real support, we were so new to the area, we felt alone. And we didn't just feel physically alone, we felt like spiritually alone too. That, like, that what we had prayed for, what we had hoped for, that what was going on? Here's the challenge. I, I couldn't feel like I could connect with God. But my job, like in my actual job description, was to help students connect with God. So everything about Jesus at that moment became purely job-related. It wasn't personal. Because I couldn't do it. I could tell other people, like, hey, this is how you do it. And I'd go home and be like, good luck. I told you how much I love summer camp. There's only been one summer camp that I haven't looked forward to. It was that one. It was supposed to be really fun because my, it was my first summer camp with this new church. We were taking twice as many students as they had ever taken in the history of their church. It was supposed to be really great, except I didn't want to go. But on night two, we're studying the life of Joseph, and on night two, the speaker gets up, and he's sharing his story. And he talks about his miscarriages, him and his wife's miscarriages. And I remember thinking, this is a weird story to tell to a group of 1,500 high school students. Like, I'm not sure this really relates. But as he kept sharing, not just of the pain, but of the hope and the redemption, it started to speak directly to me. And now there weren't 1,500 people in the, in the room. It was just me and him. And it was as God was talking directly to me. And that night, my wife and I were both there. It was a first sign that God had something for me still. I was convinced because of my lack of faith that God had, had abandoned me. And I was going to have to figure out something else to do long term. But that night, he spoke a word of hope. I had struggled with the idea of if God would cause this situation in my life. And the speaker was talking about exactly that. His story led him to say that God didn't cause it, but that God had the power to redeem it. It was a message that pierced my hard heart and brought life back into that relationship. It's a message, actually, that still hangs in our dining room. Anything can be redeemed. A lost child, a closed heart. God saw me in that, pursued me in that, pushed for a relationship to be restored. It's like what Henry Blackaby says, a love relationship with God is both extremely personal and practical. This is probably the most important factor in knowing and doing the will of God. If your love relationship with God isn't as it should be, nothing else will be in order. It's essential that you are in a right relationship with God through Christ Jesus. I had struggled with my relationship and being in a right spot with God. So where are you now with your relationship? 
God is pursuing you, will you respond to him? Have you accepted that pursuit, that relationship of, with him? Just a couple weekends ago, on Easter, we got to celebrate with 157 people who publicly declared that they're pursuing God as he pursues them, that they're in a relationship with him. Where are you? Maybe you've been ignoring the pursuit of God, wondering where he is or what he's up to. Maybe you accepted that pursuit a while ago, but like me in 2013, investing in that relationship has become a chore at best or non-existent at worst. And maybe you're not sure that he's been pursuing you at all. I believe that these seven realities really hinge on this concept that God really does pursue us and really does desire to be in a loving relationship with us. This week, would you evaluate where you are in your relationship with God? Do you feel that pursuit of him? In his pursuit of you, are you ignoring it? Do you just not see it? Do you see it but not know how to respond to it? Or maybe you feel lost in the relationship. Regardless, God is still pursuing you. Jesus would share a couple stories in his time about things that are lost. He talks about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And even if he lost one, he would leave the 99 and he'd go find that lost sheep. He would pursue that lost sheep until he's found and he'd bring him back and they'd throw a party because when something is lost, it should be celebrated. Or what about the person who loses a precious coin? They turn over their whole house, flip over the furniture, pursue that coin until it's found and then throw a party at the end. He tells a third story about a a, a kid who goes to his father and says, hey, dad, I kind of wish you were dead so that I could have your money. So can you just give it to me now? It's a paraphrase, but it's, it's basically the message. And his dad says, okay. And he gives him the money and the son runs off and lives the high life for a little bit. And then he realizes he's squandered all of it. And he remembers how well his dad treated the servants and says, I bet I can go beg and become a servant of my dad. So he heads home and the dad who had been working and pursuing sees his son. And while he was still a far way off, he runs to him and says, my son was lost, but now he's found. Let's celebrate. You see, in each of these stories, The one who has lost something is pursuing relentlessly and celebrates when they find that which was lost. We are that lost thing. And God is pursuing us even when we don't see it. And if we're honest, even when we don't feel like we need it or want it, he is pursuing us. I would encourage you, if you struggle to see his pursuit, to be still. We can get so caught up in running around looking for God that we actually miss his pursuit of us. Take some time this week to sit still, to be silent, and listen for what he has. I'm going to guess he won't show up in an actual physical burning bush. For our friend Elijah, who, who God would tend to him, in these low moments, before all of that, when he originally pursued him, he had him get in this cave and he said, I will pass by you. 
and a storm came and an earthquake came and a wind came and he wasn't in any of that, but in a still small whisper, then the presence of God was there. So maybe for you this week, he will show up with a, in a timely conversation with a friend or in a simply, simple encouragement to not lose hope. Probably in a way you would never expect. Uh, your own version of a burning bush. But he has been and continues to pursue you. God pursues a relationship with you that's real and personal. Crafted just for you. For his glory for your good. Let me pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for how you've pursued me and how you pursue each and every one of us. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that they would feel that pursuit. Lord, if it's, if it's for the first time, Lord, we celebrate. And if it's because it's been a long time, Lord, we celebrate it. Lord, would we each Feel our pursuit of you and the pursuit from you. Lord, knowing that before we ever hope to love you, you have already loved and sacrificed for us. Would that fact, would that, that knowledge draw us close to you right now? Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.